Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Terlings. How are you tonight, James? Going good, Patrick. Excited for uh, what's hopefully going to be a real fiery episode. I expect this to be a very painful episode, although in some (laughs) sense it'll be cathartic because I finally get to release my opinion on this game in a holistic way. And I've been wanting to do that for quite some time now. We are, of course, the Retrospectives podcast. Each and every fortnight, James and I, and occasionally a guest, will play through a classic game of the past from start to finish with the single intention of letting you guys know if that game is still worth playing today. James and I are not interested in how good a game was on release. We're not interested in the context in which it was produced. We simply want to know how good is this game today Is it a classic that has truly stood the test of time? And this fortnight, we're playing the JRPG called Lunar Silver Star Story Complete. Now, before we get into the discussion, the first thing I want to do is give a big shout out to another podcast that had James and I on for an interview, Will and Drew's Gaming Retrospective or WDGR podcast. They had us on for a two-part interview where James and I got to gas bag about a lot of stuff, <laughs> including our gaming histories and of course, Dark Souls. So um, big shout out to Will and Drew for having us on. It was um, it was an absolute delight and it was really enjoyable getting to us. Uh, uh, talk about ourselves and not talk about retro Old games, games? yeah exactly I, I had a lot of fun on the show will and drew are both great guys i really enjoyed being on their show and you know as patrick said being able to talk about a topic or topics other than the old games was really quite cathartic yeah so we we highly recommend you go check that out we'll pop a link to the comments and check out all of their other content um will and drew are middle-aged gamers and they have to face the uh the trials and tribulations of juggling full-time work with jobs <laughs> something that uh james and i unfortunately both fully appreciate now so um it's a it's a great interview and they do great stuff so highly recommend checking them out so as i said the game we're doing this fortnight is lunar silver star story complete it's a jrpg that was made by game arts interestingly this is a game that is a remake of a Sega CD game called Luna the Silver Star. And the original game was 1992. And this this remake that we're playing is one of several remakes. There are three or four different remakes. Yeah, that's about four of them, isn't there? It's a bit it's a bit crazy. I'd never heard of this game until I was uh doing a lot of a lot of research for a you know, a longer title that we wanted to do. And I took a, spent a little while trying to figure out which fucking version of this game we should play. But uh, the online consensus and after watching a uh, the gameplay uh, settled on the PS1 version of the game. Apparently it has the best translation um, and it definitely has the best graphics from my opinion. I showed uh, Patrick a video of the <laughs> PSP version earlier and he was not impressed. It was pretty atrocious. Uh, it's worth noting that there are significant changes between the 1992 game and this one we played which was released in 98 in japan and 99 in the us um the original is easier the original has random encounters while on this one there are sprites representing the enemies in the dungeons um there there are translation differences between the versions 
and there is a significantly expanded plot and, you know, character moments throughout. So it isn't just a, a lazy remaster. It is a, I guess, it's not quite RE2 level remake, but it's halfway there. It has significant gameplay differences. My recommendation based on a, a little bit of research and digging around online is to a uh, play the ps1 version of this game if you're gonna play it but uh, apparently the original is pretty comparable to i hear that the there's actually a version on iphone as well i hear that's it's okay but yeah that and the psp version online the consensus is that they're a step down from this and the original now of course james and i do not actually own playstation once so we uh were very naughty and as we often are and played on an emulator uh we played on epsxe um, and just worth noting that I didn't encounter any serious issues with this game whatsoever. I had the occasional graphical problem with, I guess, identifiable lines appearing at the edge of blocks, but it kind of disappeared as I moved into the halfway point in the game. So I don't know if you had any issues, Jimmy. Uh, no, I didn't see anything like that. I it just it ran perfectly for me the entire time. There was um sorry just to note there was a few settings we had to enable in the config to fix a bunch of specific issues that this game has. But uh, once that I'll I'll link that in the show note description and uh, once we turn that on worked flawlessly. Yeah, we'll we'll pop a link on our website. So if you um just go to the website page, we'll uh we'll have a screenshot of that so you can check it out there um well james i believe it is time for us to begin discussion of this game a game that you and i have had thinly veiled remarks indicating our feelings <laughs> over the past four weeks and a game that i have complained to my other friends non-stop because i wasn't able to explain to you properly so what i think we'll do is we'll give you a little bit of a premise of this game just a very simple premise We'll get into some non-spoilery story discussion, although there's going to be a little bit. So if you, really, little bit, yeah. if you really want to enjoy this game with absolute zero spoilers, we advise skipping ahead a little bit. But we're just going to go into the first you know, few hours of the game. So, so this should just give you an impression on how the general story progresses. So the premise of this game and the way this game starts, and I'm going to do my best to remain unbiased in the description of this premise, but I will say <laughs> that in describing this premise to some of my friends, not only could I not keep a straight face describing it, they also burst into laughter. So the game opens with Alex, a young boy in a rural town, at the edge of a cliff, at the graveyard of a great hero who used to be called a dragon master. And Alex wants to be a hero called a Dragon Master. In fact, he says something to the effect of, I enjoy my rural country life, but one day I wonder, will I ever go on an adventure like this Dragon Master? So he's sitting there at the grave, wondering about becoming a hero. And then, I kid you not, a flying talking cat approaches him. <laughs> It says, I knew you would be up here. You really love this Dragon Master, and you always come here when you want to reminisce on being a hero. So Alex wants to be a hero. That's the that's the very starting premise. And Alex has a couple of friends in this village, and they go on a little adventure. And this story, I guess, is about Alex's little adventures becoming grander and grander adventures over time as he pursues his goal of becoming a dragon master whatever the hell that happens to be james have i been unfair in in describing my premise or would you say i'm bang on the money 
Uh, it's pretty accurate, honestly. Um, the the setup for this game is quite, you know, generic, <laughs> to say the least. It's not gonna 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 blow you away by any stretch of the mean, but I, I definitely didn't find it as offensive as you seem to have. I mean, it's just literally the most generic tripe that could possibly be shoved down your throat. When I say that I I can't keep a straight face describing this, it's because. I can't imagine a more boring way to set up your hero than he wants to be a generic hero. That is his drive. That is the central conflict of his character. He wants to be a generic hero. There's nothing really connecting him to this hero. There's nothing bad in his past that's happened. There's nothing about, you know, his character that draws attention apart apart from the fact that he wants to be a Dragon Master. And what the hell is a Dragon Master? Even even the rather mediocre series Aragon does a far better job setting up Aragon. the role of dragon riders in the society than this does. It just says that Dragon Masters and Dragon Masters are cool without ever explaining what the hell they are at all. They just seem to be a hero sort of dude. I don't know if you got... Well, a Dragon Master is very clearly somebody who has passed all of the four dragon trials, as you are told many times throughout the story. Um, It is a pretty, you know, generic hero title, and we've definitely moved on in writing far beyond this in recent years. Although... To be fair, the initial driving motivation for the characters going on their first adventure isn't actually in pursuit of becoming the Dragon Master. It's actually in pursuit of uh, a much more believable goal of making money. Um, shortly after Alex is on the, the hilltop looking out over the world and dreaming of going on adventure, he is approached by his friend Ramus, who comes excitedly up to him with a brilliant idea to become rich and famous. Um, it's Ramus's idea that you are both going to sneak into the White Dragon's cave to steal a dragon diamond, which you can then travel to the richest uh, city in the world and sell for billions of dollars. Um, I think uh, I think this was a much more uh, palatable reason to go on the adventure than just like nebulously wandering off in pursuit of becoming some ancient hero. Yeah, it, and it's it's fine. Like he's going with his friends. I mean, you do have the issue that a couple of fifteen-year-old kids with no combat training in their lives will have to fight through a cave full of monsters in order to you know. I mean, get Alex has thing. clearly been uh, training with the sword for a long time, based on training uh, against what? I don't know. It doesn't tell you exactly. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, when he goes to speak to his parents, they say, "Ah, well, I guess it was inevitable. You went on your first adventure, killing hundreds of monsters in caves. So here you go. Here's a dagger. Go for it." <laughs> I mean, at least in a game like Pokemon, it's not the trainers themselves that are doing battle. It's the creatures that are doing it. And I mean, I get that it's a game, but it is kind of stupid. So it's a fine thing, but already the game initially sets itself up as something ridiculous and childish from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, it's like a classic hero's journey tale, right? About, you know, some kid in a boring town wanting to go off on an adventure. This is something that's been, you know, in uh, writing and games and media for, you know, as long as people have existed. I would say the distinguishing thing is, though, that the kids are acting almost entirely on their own merits whereas i'd say like in aragon for example or even the series i despise and have brought up many times as one i don't like is wheel of time 
the kids are escorted by adults and the adults are the ones who are actually in charge. So Yeah, and I actually like that more um, because... It makes it sense, kind of, right? Like, it's more... So, no, no, I like the way they did it here more is what I'm saying okay. because uh, in those media, it feels like the kids are just being dragged around by, you know, these other characters. They don't have any agency over their own destiny, whereas here, the characters always are, you know, in control of their decisions. They're always doing things because they want to, like they're sneaking out of town under their parents' noses to go steal a dragon diamond, whatever that is. Um, and I found that to be, you know, it made the characters seem more likable to me compared to, you know, just them being dragged along by circumstance. So broadly speaking, I far prefer my characters to have agency, but only when it makes sense for them to have agency. And I don't think it really makes sense for these kids to have agency because they're just kids who haven't done anything. The reason the Wheel of Time has the kids dragged around is because they're dumb kids. And then as time goes on and they gradually level up, as it were, and they get opportunities to do little fights, they come into their own and they become more powerful. But it doesn't make you know a lot of sense for them to be gain the agency immediately. That being said, I don't want to dwell on this because this is just one small problem among many. And we have a lot to go through, don't we, James? If you say so, Patrick. Well, let's not dwell on the beginning any longer. Let's jump right into the first adventure of the, uh, the three main heroes, Alex, Luna, and Ramus. Um, and their adventure off into the Dragon Cave, you know, begins pretty normally. They leave their village and they go wandering over the overworld map. This is a older JRPG and they often had these, uh, these overworld maps to kind of give a sense of immersion before you got to a new location. And, you know, you get to the, you get to the Dragon Cave and then you get in there and you start fighting some monsters so do you want to give a quick overview of the basic combat in this game yeah i mean for those who have never played this style of jrpg before the idea is that you have your characters standing um, on one side of the screen and the monsters standing on the other you trigger a combat encounter by an enemy running into you on the in, on the dungeon screen um, some of them will be faster than you and will always catch up to you while you can you know, d duck and weave and dodge some of the enemy sprites to avoid combats. Uh, it's turn-based combat. So what you do is you give your party uh, commands to either attack, defend, use an item or use a magic spell. They can only take one action. You make commands for all three of your party members. And then uh, the combat plays out with uh, your three party members and all the monsters doing their one action. Um, and an attack will often you know, attacked two or three times as you move into the later stages, but it's still, you know, a single attack. And the order in which they go is determined by their speed stat. So uh, often your caster members will be a lot slower than your combat members, which means that the monsters will often go somewhere in between you. That's the, that's the basic premise of the combat. Yeah, so compared to a lot of other JRPGs, the characters don't stay static on either side of the screen. Like uh, if you select attack with your melee hero um, on an enemy on the other side of the screen, they will try to run up to them and then hit them. And if they, you know, if their range isn't long enough they, or speed, they won't be able to get there and they'll stop in place without attacking. Um, so, you know, as a battle goes on, you'll generally find that both you and the monsters end up in very different parts of the, the screen than they started in. Um, there's no, you know, hitting and then running back to the beginning, um, with the exception of a few special attacks. 
And there's also um, a grid that you can set your members up. Uh, that being said, I mean, you just put them in an X shape and leave them there the entire game. So yeah. it's not super relevant. There are a couple of other combat options. You can get the AI to make your moves for you, which is a terrible idea. Uh, they just use all your powerful attacks on <laughs> yeah. weak enemies. So I tried it a couple of times. It sucks. You can actually um, you can actually program a bunch of basic routines into them. I didn't really do it because I preferred just having full control but if you don't trust the AI I don't know why you would as Patrick said it's fucking awful um, <laughs> just uh, you know you can set up some macros and have them do some basic actions if you're feeling lazy yeah and you know there's some preset macros like everyone attack so you don't have to go through you know four members and say this guy attack this guy attack this guy attack the vast majority of the time you'll just be commanding each one individually so uh yeah it's it'll be very familiar to anyone who's ever experienced a jrpg before it's pretty much a cookie cutter experience yeah absolutely um so one of the things that i thought made this game stand out a little not stand out but one of the main conceits of the combat um, was that throughout your adventure in a singular dungeon, um, your health and mana doesn't regenerate after the end of each battle, and it's actually quite beneficial to the player to try and be as mana efficient as possible, because uh, running out probably means having to leave the dungeon and come back and respawning all the enemies. So, you know, oftentimes you'll get into a battle and you'll be thinking, you know, you could spend a lot of mana to kind of kill enemies quickly, or you can, you know, try and do some basic, you know, just sword swings to save it a bit. There's a little bit of cost benefit analysis going on there. Maybe spending a bit of mana here will save you mana later because something won't get a hit on your party members. So um, I found a lot of the earlier dungeons were really about trying to get to the end of them. All right, let's get into number one discussion. Why do you think this is a good thing and not terrible? What do you mean? Okay, so why is it enjoyable to manage your HP and mana in this fashion? What is enjoyable about not using abilities early on uh, only to use them elsewhere or having lots of mana restoration items and using them between fights. What's what's fun about this? Because my experience with this mana and HP management is that if you ran out of HP and mana, you would go to the beginning, you'd heal up and your party would be stronger this time. So you'd mow through the enemies a lot faster and you'd get through the dungeon anyway. So really? I just okay. want to know what's interesting about this process to you because it's not a question of what is the best attack to use in a given spot the entire game becomes about looking at how much mana and hp you have left which is utterly dull and uninteresting to me really i think it's way more interesting than just spamming your strongest attacks every single battle for you know the entire dungeon you, you said um did you often get out of mana? Because I, I think I only went back to town once in the entire game, once I'd kind of clued into the fact that it was really valuable. No, I didn't, because the what I did was I'd get my melee guys to attack with their swords, which was still fairly effective, as opposed to their magic attacks, which were overpowered. And your magic users, your healer and your casters, tended to have so much mana that you didn't run out anyway and you'd only need one or two mana restoration items to get it. So with that being said, I don't really see what's interesting about it. You did your big AoE attacks to kill things, and you just moved through the dungeon. I, there was It wasn't engaging my brain in any way, shape, or form to decide, hmm, I've got half mana, I'm going to use my guys to attack with our swords instead of using this AoE attack. 
it's not particularly interesting to me. I don't know why you think it's a distinguishing feature of this game. Um, I think uh, in a lot of other games, it's a lot easier to have full HP and mana the entire game. A lot of other JRPGs give you like an overabundance of mana restoratives, whereas in this game, they're actually, at least to begin with, quite hard to get and quite expensive. Um, you know, near the end of the game, you can... You can amass quite a few if you've got enough gold but you know to begin with the game really emphasizes this idea that each uh, each battle's a puzzle that can be figured out in a couple of different ways you know you've got the mana efficient route um, and the just the all-out attack way um, and you know, I actually really you know enjoyed it for the most part trying to get to the end of each dungeon without running out of mana because once you do get to the boss you're going to need a lot to beat it usually. Yeah so I just found it completely dull and uninteresting and I think that the way this entire game set is set up is fundamentally flawed because like I said when you level up your stats go up and your relative strength against the monsters goes up a lot like even a single level can make you much stronger. Yeah that's great. Even if, if you've leveled up twice over the course of a dungeon enemies that would previously take uh i guess two rounds of three rounds of combat only take two rounds of combat so it kind of solves itself by the time you've leveled up a couple of times once you've leveled up a couple of times if you weren't quite able to make it to the dungeon all you need to do is fairy wings to the beginning and then you can dodge enemies and the few fights you get into um you can easily get past with you know by just spamming your aoe attacks yeah you so can. the thing the thing that you find so compelling and interesting i find utterly unremarked and i think that the fact that this is the most interesting part about the combat demonstrates just how bad the combat really is i didn't say it was the most interesting thing i thought that it was like something that kind of underpins a lot of your decisions in the game in the in the combat and i want to i want to be clear on this kind of early um i'm not the biggest fan of the combat in this game either um i just thought that this was one of the things that made it not completely terrible okay i think that this is a consequence of the terrible combat systems the fact that you have to be constantly managing your hp and mana and i think games like uh divinity original sin 2 that automatic you know where your hp and mana is easily replenishable at the beginning of every fight and any other rpg that heals you up to full at the beginning of every fight instead of you having to watch these fucking status bars all the time are far better rpg systems why because it's not interesting that would be my key criticism of it if the process of going through all these dungeons is the same that is you manage your mana a little bit and if you don't quite make it you're now a lot stronger and you can breeze through the dungeon if that's the process every single time i haven't actually done anything differently the 30th time i've done it i'm doing the same thing over and over again and that in a in a sense is my key criticism of this combat and this game's combat system the sheer repetitiveness of it once you have managed your hp and mana a bit you've done it you've figured it out you get the game you get the trick that the game is trying to play on you when you're doing it 20 hours later and you're doing the same management it no longer has my interest this is not the kind of game i want to play i agree with you that repetitiveness is this game's biggest flaw i think that the problem isn't the mana management necessarily it's that that in every dungeon the manage management is done in the same way right um this game has basically no character customization to speak of whatsoever um every character levels up 
um, and then some of them get an abilities at certain levels, right? And you basically have no control, and each character doesn't get that many abilities. That the difference between doing your dungeon, like the second dungeon and the last dungeon, are really very similar. Um, I think if the the enemies were kind of incentivizing you to use more, like a lot more different skills and making the management more interesting, then it would be fine. Like I don't think the the management is the issue. I think the issue is at a more fundamental level of like what this what skills the characters have and you know uh when they're incentivized to use these skills i don't think the game gives you enough interesting opportunities to decide between using one skill or another and that's the thing all you've got left is mana and hp management that that's because the fundamental combat is so uninteresting the only way in which this game challenges you i guess is in this uh you know how you sustain yourself but the fact is that that's not interesting. That's not fun. That That isn't why I play video games. The efficiency of my mana and HP management, excuse me while I go to sleep. I would far prefer to basically not worry about it. If, if I'm playing like, um, I don't know, Divinity Original Sin 2, I like that each and every combat encounter is you know framed around not me having a quarter of an hp for this fight but each one is specifically designed around you having full hp and mana and that's where the game lies not the managing of your hp and mana from fight to fight so patrick you play a lot of counter-strike right yes um how do you feel about managing your economy i think it's a very important part of the game it's it's i think it's one of the things that makes counter-strike stand out i'm a big fan of it you're a big fan of it so you you like conserving when you need to conserve and using money when you need to use it so the difference in 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 i guess understanding how the economy works in a game like counter-strike versus this game is that counter-strike is a multiplayer game so when you're managing your economy you're not managing your economy against a computer you're managing an economy against another team and it's the constant clash of those economies and one team trying to exploit the other's economy that makes the game interesting. The difference in economy also, I feel, leads to a far greater variety in combat situations because if it was always a full buy against a full buy, you'd have less diverse sort of struggles. With an economy, you have force buyers and deagle rounds and things like that which mix it up and give greater variety i don't think that the economy of mana and hp necessarily produces a lot of varied uh combat scenarios it just makes you a little bit stingy at times so i do think that the the mana management has the potential to create a lot of variety in the game but it just often doesn't reach those potentials um so for example you play you you come into a battle um and you're against three slimes that are grouped up the back and one standing in front um and you know the the first reaction you have is that i can spend a bunch of mana to cast you know my circle aoe on the back line and take out maybe two of them if i you know get lucky on my hit rolls and then you know i can burn down the guy at the front and the one that lived compared that to if you decide to just use your sword attacks um a couple more dudes are going to live till the end of the turn um they're going to run at you they're going to change you know the the layout of the battle and that's going to cause you to take more damage yada 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 and it spirals into something different the problem is what happens in lunar 
isn't different enough. Like they need to add some layer on top of that to make the manage management more interesting, right? Like I agree with you that in this game, um, it doesn't reach its full potential. And I think that the biggest problem overall is just that the battles aren't varied enough. So let's also look at the fact that I think taking damage also costs mana because healing yes. your characters in between battles and during battles costs mana. Yeah. So you're not you're basically deciding trying to figure out am I going to use less mana by using this AoE attack or by healing my party. And often it feels kind of close. It feels kind of similar and it doesn't feel like it's going to matter that much. You're going to go through mana one way or another. I think that the problem is also exacerbated. I don't know if this is moving into a slightly different area, but I feel like the way the enemy design is and the way these encounters flow is that the enemies hit hard. Yeah, they punish you really hard for making mistakes, yeah. Two-thirds to three-quarters of your HP. So you're heavily incentivized to burst damage these people down as fast as you possibly can. So if you don't do that, if you get cute with spells, or if you're like, well, I'm going to attack a bit, you're going to take a heap of damage on your heroes, and then you're going to have to use mana to heal them anyway. So you may as well just bite the bullet and try and kill them as fast as you can. I don't know when the repetitiveness kind of set in for you, um, because it took quite a while for it to set into me. Um, probably about halfway through the game i'm gonna say and one of the reasons that the combat remained interesting for me for a little while was that um you know and it's kind of a story related thing is that many characters often joined and left your party like at a whim um you spend the first half of the game changing your character party pretty consistently like every i don't know 30 minutes or so you'd get someone come and leave um, and because of that, I found that, you know, the different spells that I had access to when I had and didn't have a certain character made, you know, the combats more interesting. Um, about halfway through the game, uh, this stops happening because you kind of get a very static party that just remains the way it is. And from then on, it, just every combat started to become the same thing over and over and over and over again. Because you've very rarely got new spells. And that, I find that kind of frustrating, especially because there's no character customization whatsoever in this game. I wasn't as entranced by the novelty as you. I will admit that when I got a new character, it was kind of cool, but it only took a few fights for me to figure out what that kit effectively was. It doesn't help that one of the characters is just a swap out for your healer because you lose a healer at some point and it's like, well, here's a new healer because good luck beating this game without one. I mean, Alex and Kyle, uh, your two melee attacking heroes, have AoE attacks, are good at hitting people and both power themselves up. Then you have a couple of casters that do big AoE damages. I mean, it's really not that interesting. And like I said, Although theoretically you have heroes that clear status conditions and heroes that put debuffs on the enemy heroes, the way in which the combat flows incentivizes burst damage. So 99% of the time, and I mean 99, that is an exaggeration, 99% of the time it's best to just try and kill everything as fast as you possibly can. Yeah, I, I didn't find that to be the case. Sometimes there's like a lot of situations where it's worth taking a few hits. Using like one or two heals is uh, less expensive than some of the other spells. That kind of choice there was what I enjoyed when I noticed, oh, it's actually better to use this here rather than that, and it wasn't obvious to begin with. That was fun, um, but it just... 
it wears off quite quickly um and you know the repetitiveness of the gameplay going into you know probably after the first third of the game onwards is you know a real real downside to this one i've um i've said many times on this show that the number one thing i hate in video games is grinding uh, grinding is is a sort of thing if i'm playing a game that's not for the podcast if a game requires any grinding of me um I will stop playing it. Well, that's good because this game doesn't need it, right? A hard, James, but this is the thing. The entire fucking game is grind. That's what I realized about JRPGs. That was my big revelation. And in a way, I have this game to thank for it. Grind is basically when you have to do repetitive, dull content endlessly. Every single fight in this game, with the exception of a few bosses, counts as grind. Every single fight goes exactly the same way. And when you get to the 20th hour mark or, you know, the 15th hour mark and you go into another identical dungeon that's just been textured differently and you play against different textured enemies with slightly different spells and you use those same AoE spells over and over again, it made me realize that all these games do is make you endlessly grind. My eyes, I, I had a dead look in my eye playing this game, James. I was sitting there with my controller with a thousand yard stare as I got into yet another battle against some retextured slime monsters. And I was like, what am I doing playing this piece of garbage game? It's really funny to me that you think that this is grinding. Um, this game all has zero grinding. Sorry, go on. You, you, you make your case. Okay, so this game has, um, like, the bosses in this game scale to your level. There's no character builds, there's nothing you need to work towards to make your character stronger. So there's really zero incentive to sit around in the dungeon just hitting things to level up. Um, there is no grinding in this game. You just progress, um, you get to the end of the dungeon, and then you go on to the next one. I think that you saying that just doing the core gameplay loop over and over is grinding is stupid. Um, because, like, what's the difference between you know, going through and doing, you know, a battle or a battle or going through something like Call of Duty and clicking on a head and then going to a differently textured level and clicking on another head with the same gun and then going through another level with a different texture and then clicking on the same level. How, that's not grinding. How is this grinding? I am so glad you asked, James, because I have an answer for this question. It comes in two flavors. The first of which is the time in which it takes to click on a head. It takes less than a second. In fact, it could take as little as one third of a second to click on a head. Whereas your average combat encounter in this game can easily take a minute and a half to get through a single combat encounter. And the difference between a third of a second and a minute and a half is significant. Yeah, but there's a lot more thirds of a second than there are combat encounters in this game. Like you'll kill a thousand grunts in that game and you'll do like 20 combat encounters in a dungeon in this game i wouldn't say it's exactly the same but i do take your point it is easier it is you know there are more mooks you have to shoot in the head but my second and far more compelling point is i think that the thing that defines grind is how compelling the content is and it is very i accept your point that a lot of the combat encounters in this game are extremely repetitive and tedious. But to me, my dish, my definition of grind is repeating the same content in like one area over and over, um, trying to obtain a specific thing. I really don't consider this to be a grindy JRPG at all. There's basically nothing that incentivizes you to like 
Um, you know, like, for example, in World of Warcraft, um, there are some, you know, there's these dragon mounts you can ride, right? Um, and they have a, like, a 0.005% chance to drop when you kill a specific enemy. Um, there was a guy who was staying at my house previously who was, like, dead set on getting one of these items. And so they spent, like, eight hours straight sitting in this one room killing the same enemy every time it respawned. Like, that's grinding. This, this game doesn't have that bullshit. But see, James, all it requires is a shift in perception to pull back the illusion of what the game is presenting you, to make you realize that while you might be killing enemies in differently uh, colored rooms, you are still performing the exact same actions from start to finish in this game. Yes, you're in the ice cave instead of the fire cave. And yes, you are moving up through different levels and going up and down staircases. But the actions you are taking at the beginning of the game are near identical to the actions you take at the end of this game. It never evolves in a strategic or tactical sense, like a game like XCOM. It is the same game. Doing it in different locations doesn't mean it's not grind. This is the revelation, James. This, this is the thing I realized. If you were taking the same mechanical actions, in, it doesn't matter where you are. It is still grind because you are doing the same thing over and over again endlessly for hours on end. So what your your main criticism here is the same as my criticism. Like our, our definitions are clearly different here, but um, like this game is super repetitive in its combat, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you think it? Do you think it? They could have done a better job with this, like with this combat system, um, with the movement, with the characters being on each side of the screen. Do you think that this game failed to live up to its potential, or do you just think that it's flawed from the get go? Well, that's the thing, James. Now, I haven't played a lot of JRPGs, but I've got this long-standing bias against them that they're complete garbage. And I think that Lunar Silverstar story, what it's done for me in picking this game, James, you have confirmed my biases and revealed to me the truth that I was right all along. JRPGs, at least JRPGs presented in this way, are fundamentally crap games that fundamentally have crappy gameplay. And I'm shocked that more people don't realize this you do and maybe there are jrpgs that are different that have different tactical depths i reckon a game like xcom has a hundred times the depth of this game even a game like vagrant story a game that we did for the podcast is so much more infinitely complex and interesting and i heavily criticize that game's gameplay than this than doing the same thing a hundred times over I don't know if there's a way to set a game like this up that's interesting, but the loop of AOE damage, uh, heal, repeat is just, it's just the same thing over and over again. It's, it's mind boggling that anyone defends this garbage. I, what can I say, James? If there's a way to do this better, I have no idea. I would begin by getting an eraser and putting a big massive cross rope through it and starting from scratch. Ultimately, I don't actually have a problem with the baseline gameplay of Lunar Silver Star Story. Um, I think that despite Patrick's, you know, angry rant about JRPGs, um, it doesn't do a terrible job of setting the game up. Like, the combat for the first two dungeons or so 
is perfectly fine. Like, I was expect like, you know, these games generally have a pretty, you know, cruisy difficulty curve. I thought to myself, you know, it'll just get more complex as the game goes on, you know. Um, at the start of the game, I was just picking between some spells and attacking, and I thought that, you know, maybe near the end, I'll be, you know, rolling in options. But that's that's my biggest problem, is that characters never get more than eight spells maximum. Um, and because of that, your like your options for variety are just kind of like limited. There's no crazy status effects or stuff like that. There's just like plus attack and plus defense buffs at the most. So yeah, I'm not. I don't want to harp on too much about the combat um, for a while because you know we've gone over it. Um, this game is pretty repetitive. Um, I thought it was enjoyable enough for the first you know half of the game, and then after that. It does just slowly, slowly sink into, you know, uh, monotony as Patrick has expressed. Um, before we finish, you you asked me before if there's anything I could suggest. So let me, let me rate, I, I don't know if I have solutions because like I said, I think the system is fundamentally flawed. However, I do have a couple of criticisms that may imply suggestions, if you don't mind me going into them. Go ahead. The first thing is, I think that having the characters only able to perform one action, so say uh, you can only heal or cast a magic spell or do an attack or defend, right? I think that having a system like that encourages a blandness and repetitive to the combat, unlike a far more delineated system. So instead of, I, I think that these games are better where instead of having you know, selecting one action to do, it would be better if you had 30 action points and then you had a variety of spells and abilities of, you know, varying power level that cost more or less uh, points. And that way you could have cheap but less powerful spells alongside more powerful but, you know, more expensive spells and choosing how to combine those in interesting ways, depending on what you do with your turn, would lead to a more interesting experience. I think that the real problem is that the enemies don't... Like, a lot of JRPGs will ex like require certain enemies to be tackled in a specific way. Like, mm -hmm. for example, you need to put, like, there's an enemy that has a really, really powerful one-hit kill attack, so you're incentivized to put them to sleep on turn one in order to avoid that, because you know you can't kill it in one hit because it's got too much health, so you kind of need to disable it for a turn. This game mm -hmm. has, like, none of stat. Like, I think stuff like that would really add a lot. If you had to, like, kind of recognize certain enemies and, you know, approach them in different ways, but it's really just, like, damage or more damage, right? There's no... There's nothing, there's no side grades, you know what I mean? The game that comes to mind is Slay the Spire. I mean, I know you and I are big fans of that game, but basically every single enemy you fight in Slay the Spire has a gimmick of some kind. Yeah. Like, it's not just they have an AoE attack, it's they, you know, they'll be going after a particular type of card or um, they'll power themselves up and then they'll attack you or whenever you use an ability, they'll get stronger in this way or they'll be one of those enemies where you yeah, have to kill the, the enemies the dictate the way you play, right? Yeah, exactly, They just don't yeah. do that in this game. Even the bosses don't really do much to change your general strategy. It just takes a long time to actually do it. I mean, I did change my strategy for some bosses mildly, but you know, yes, in general. Yeah. Um, like the, the bosses were the best combat encounters in the game and even they weren't particularly amazing but like 
I, I definitely don't find it as offensive as you do. Um, it's just under average. It's whatever. I, I think this is one of the worst games I've played in my entire life. Like, I, I found the repetitive nature of it is offensive. And when I realized that the entire game was an endless grind, it made sense to me. I mean, I'm the kind of person who doesn't like any grinding in any games at all. Yeah. And this game is has zero compelling content so to me it was just a gigantic waste of time to to plow through this and it never got interesting i kept waiting for it to get interesting and it never got there. all right so those are our thoughts on the combat um i'm gonna cut us off here because we're about 50 minutes of this argument <laughs> um and i think we uh we should go to a music break um I feel like surely we agree in this section, um, Patrick. I thought the music in this game was actually pretty good. Yeah, I was I was pretty high on the music as well. Although I should, in, to, to, for full disclosure, on the emulator, there's a button that removes the frame cap and it makes your game run about three to four times normal speed. And I was using that. I, I, I hit a certain point where I basically didn't stop playing the game without that turned on. I wasn't using it to speed up parts of the game. I basically turned it off whenever there was dialogue or a story moment, but in the dungeons and everything, I just, was just on fast forward. And the music is incomprehensible in those periods. So I didn't get the full <laughs> oh breadth of the soundtrack, although I heard a lot of the town music. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's not that I disliked the soundtrack. It's just that you didn't I wasn't going to I wasn't right. going to tolerate playing this game at normal speed, man. I did for a while, and I'm like, I cannot do this anymore. I mean, I agree this game definitely needed a speed-up function. Like, even a lot of the Pokemon games and newer RPGs have a skip animations option that you can tick once you're sick of seeing all the battle animations. This game needed that pretty desperately, and I, too, found myself speeding the game up during combat a couple... Like, I'd make my selections, and then I'd skip to the next turn, basically, because, you know, I, it was super repetitive, um, and I just wanted to get through it. Um, but, uh, like, I'm actually really, really high on the soundtrack for this game. It went well above my expectations. Um, there's about, you know, uh, about 60 tracks on the soundtrack, and I thought it did a pretty good job, honestly, of changing the mood and the tone over the course of the story. Um, and especially some of the, the overworld and some of the dungeon themes I thought were excellent. Yeah, so so I found a lot of the music far too cheery, and... Uh, <laughs> I think like, that's, I, I, that's not a criticism right that's just a personal preference of yours basically i'm i'm the kind of i like my stories with a bit of nihilism a bit of pathos tragedy mm -hmm. and the cheesy fucking happy music as you wander around town had me i mean i rolled my eyes a lot during this game <laughs> but yeah just I'm, I'm just not a fan of that kind of music that a sort of happy la 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 di da di da music because <laughs> i don't i don't like fantasy worlds like that well actually my um my favorite soundtrack from this game was actually one of the the second overworld track which i wouldn't describe as being you know happy i thought that was a lot of like uh wistful emotions in the track and i really liked um so throughout the story um alex is portrayed as playing an ocarina um, and this track heavily features that and it kind of it sort of represents a lot of yearning for adventure on his part and trying to find something that isn't there and I found that it often swept into these big like grandiose 
you know, uh, hopeful bits around the middle. And it just overall, I thought it was a really interesting track that kind of played with a lot of different emotions throughout it. Um, I quite enjoyed this track as well. Like James said, um, it's slightly melancholic. It's like he's yearning for something. Uh, it's a gentler track. And yeah, the ocarina is the main instrument throughout the piece. So we'll uh, pop it on for you now. This is Overworld 2. Overworld 2 and as I said I, I really really like the music in this game like uh, if I had to give uh, an example of where I would kind of put it on my scale um, if I was kind of comparing it to another game in terms of how much I like it um, I would probably put it up there with something like Symphony of the Night that we did on the show like I really really liked this soundtrack for the most part there are a couple of pretty mediocre ones thrown in there but for the most part i i, I really liked it yeah i'm nowhere near that high james yeah. <laughs> i mean part of it is that i didn't listen to a lot of it but uh in general it, it never got um it never got super annoying except for one or two places and like i think the spooky forest it kind of pissed me off with the repetitiveness of it but overall it was it was fine and i enjoyed it and except for the happy themes but yeah <laughs> there are a lot you, of those. You, should not, you shouldn't take uh castlevania symphony of the night soundtrack in vain like that is very rude <laughs> well okay so you said you really don't like happy things in your life um and that's Correct. probably why you didn't like this game so much i hate, I hate we... fun i hate happy things <laughs> <laughs> if we move on to general aesthetics um how did you feel about the way this game looked so i know i know it's a, it's a pretty bright and colorful game for the most part but like this is it's a strange one right because it's a 2d sprite game for the playstation 1 which was kind of in that era where it was really in fashion to start pushing the boundaries of 3d graphics so how did you feel about this kind of playing it safe and trying to do the best it could with some known technology well as we've said many times on the show going with this 2d cartoon style really pays dividends when it comes to evaluating these games many years later because yeah. all of the games that tried to go 3D just look like shit. shit. That being said, <laughs> this kind of style of graphics, which I refer to as RPG maker graphics, has never entranced me in the same way it entrances so many others. It's obviously very high detail. It's obviously very well done. It's very accomplished. But it just, I can't help but feel it looks generic. Like there's there's this 
art style that these JRPGs, 2D, you know, JRPG SNES style ones fit into, where I'm just like, it's just, it's just, you know, generic JRPG sort of things. There, there are a few exceptions, which I'll go into in a sec, but it, it was basically fine for me. I, I think that it's obviously very well constructed and well done, um, but it doesn't blow me away. I'm, I'm just not really into this graphical style. Yeah, I, I would say about the same. Like, I think it's very well done, but not incredible. I do say that I think this game has actually held up very well. Mm-hmm. That's a fair thing to say, yeah. Yeah, because like you said, the art style lends itself to being kind of timeless quality to it. And then um, the 2D pixel art isn't the only art in the game. This game actually has a bunch of cutscenes, which are rather than being done in, you know, the, the graphical style of the rest of the game, uh, they actually did this like this 90s anime style. Like it looks like, you know, like a full blown production. And I thought that that kind of, I was really happy they went for something timeless like that over, you know, Trying to do something funky with the character sprites, you know what I mean? <laughs> what live action? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> F- FMV sequence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in general, these cutscenes kind of, you know, I think they were a bit static in some places. Like the characters didn't move; they just had their mouths moving. But it does help the game hold up. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll admit something to you. I don't know if you know Patrick, but I actually have found that I really can't engage with a lot of really old JRPGs, like uh, the older Final Fantasy titles, for example, because I find that um, the characters and the way they're portrayed on the screen in this, you know, that RPG style doesn't mm-hmm. really resonate with me very well. But I found here where they have these more like uh visual cutscenes, and they have the like the character portraits when the characters are talking which are obviously also done in that 90s anime style and as they talk and they emote the the portraits change to express their emotions i found that a bit easier to connect with than some of the i don't know like just watching a bunch of sprites in a text box here yeah that makes sense um it didn't really do anything for me i they just all looked like super generic anime characters to me i was very unimpressed but I know you're far more into anime than I am. <laughs> I see. Patrick Particularly is garbage a... anime. So. <laughs> garbage anime. Patrick is a closet weeb. Um, just letting I mean, everybody that's not know, true. and he hates to I, admit it. <laughs> there are specific shows I like, but it's very specific. You have to admit. Give me, give me some credit here. <laughs> some credit here. <laughs> um so i just want to say with the graphics there was the one standout thing which i thought was phenomenal was the grindery was that what you were gonna say because that level was incredible i I was gonna say some of the boss the boss designs like some of the monster designs so there is an issue where there are reused sprites that are colored differently but there are some bosses that just look crazy good there's one called truffle snouts which is like (laughs) this weird vine monster that also has electricity pads and this this huge nostril it it just looks it looks sick it's a very yeah it does creative yeah. design but it's kind of it's kind of let down by its by a lot of the more generic uh mook designs but there are some some bosses here which are really really cool looking in general i found most of the sprite work on the enemies to be really good um they're all like quite well animated they don't just stay still and you know like mm-hmm. old pokemon style where they just like move to the side to 
like to tackle or whatever, they actually fully animate a lot of the attacks. And I think uh, when the game does go all out with animating the enemy models, it looks really, really good. Um, I One of my personal favorites was the first boss in the game, which was the big slime monster. Um, mm. And I liked the way that it rolled around and kind of distorted its body to attack you. Um, I thought it looked great. Um, some of the bosses definitely look standout. And honestly, I think it mostly extends to the enemy design. Although, as you said, there is a lot of recolor stuff going on, which pretty pretty standard for these old games but it doesn't do it too much to be super offensive in my opinion yeah it mainly adds to the repetitive feel of it it's it almost makes the gameplay experience worse so it's like oh it's this guy again <laughs> but he's yeah. a different color it's yeah. like in other games they kind of use that to indicate like um what kind of strategy you should try when there's more options available to you you know when uh you know when it's a lot harder to figure out the optimal moves to make in your turn but you know in this game it seems a bit redundant when it's so easy to figure out what you need to do each turn what i i couldn't quite figure out if there was a full-blown type system like i figured out that ice was good against fire and fire was good against ice but i don't know if it was like for those two specific dungeons that that was going on or if it was uh, no actually um, no, no, there's a there's a lot of there's actually a lot of resistance stuff in the game like a uh, physical and magic in general is different I knew about as well that, because yeah. there are enemies that literally take no damage from magic or physical attacks so I, I was aware of that but i didn't know if every enemy was like weak to certain elements i didn't know if i had a full-blown pokemon system um i never really figured it out past those two dungeons that you're talking about um i did yeah. notice that there i wish there was more of that stuff like this game just needs more complexity in its combat um, <laughs> yeah it would make you switch your brain on a bit more but sorry i've complained about the game <laughs> let's enough, let's let's stay away from the game let's stay away from the the combat itself because the combat itself is you know how we've determined it was already <laughs> um let's stay away from that because we'll just open that can of worms again so with that in mind i guess it's time to start talking about the story how did you want to structure this one patrick so so firstly this is full spoilers uh we've given you a very basic premise of the story but now we're going into full-blown spoilers so um since i've probably convinced you that the gameplay is so great if you'd like to go play luna silver star story then I would recommend doing so now so you don't get the story spoiled for you. For those who think that, you know, this game may not be for them, which should be all of you, um, feel free to listen on while I tell you all about the story. The amazing of story of Luna. <laughs> amazing story. So I guess just big picture, just trying to be give you a description and trying to remain somewhat objective before I get into it. Um so Alex kind of goes, like James says, it starts off with him doing like this small adventure with friends, trying to get this, you know, dragon gem to become rich. Um, when he meets the dragon, because there's a dragon in there, of course, he says something to the effect of, wow, you have green eyes. You're clearly the one fated to be the new dragon master. I task you with completing the other dragon trials and then you will be the dragon master. And he's like, wow, cool. So now he has a mini quest of his own, but it also involves going with his friend to the city to sell a gem. So that's that gem plotline is still the main thing, but now Alex has a reason to do other stuff. So that's the kind of jumping off point. 
Yeah, sure. And so I kind of want to go over this, like, one of, something I really actually liked about this game, um, kind of from a progression point of view, um, and how the story progresses, and full spoilers now, um, is that in combat, the characters, like, Overall, the combat system's pretty repetitive, but one thing I did like about it um, is that the characters were kind of, like, as strong as they should be story-wise, right? Like, um, in the beginning, you kind of get this feeling, because you start, you know, the first dungeon with three characters, that one of the party members really isn't pulling their weight compared to the other two, because, you know, Alex, the main character, is a complete machine with his sword. He just cuts things to ribbons, and Luna, Luna is insanely powerful. Like, um, the kind of, a lot of the, pr I guess we didn't get into this, and we should have, but one of the, the big conceits of the story um, is this Alex's love interest is part of the um, part of the main cast and she's like got this really like powerful singing voice that kind of allows her to heal people and do all this sort other sort of stuff like put enemies to sleep and that's really you, you like you find that really overpowered in the first dungeon meanwhile your third party member the guy who like started the whole ordeal by wanting you to go and make money Ramus um is just completely fucking useless um and actually, as you level him up, he starts to, like, drop off more and more, even though he already kind of began being useless. And over the course of this first arc, he kind of comes to terms with that, you know, he's not cut out for being an adventurer, but they never really say this out loud until the really end. You just, you get this feeling as you're playing the game delivered to you naturally rather than through dialogue. And I really liked um, Ramus's initial character arc of, you know, instead of um, sticking with the party, he elects to actually, um, you know, in this in this moment where he kind of like mans up and takes the reins of his destiny, decides to become a merchant in the, you know, the biggest town of the, the story. In yes, a Patrick? very illegal way. In a very <laughs> It was incredible. Way. I laughed so hard when, uh, you know, full spoilers. So what happens is you take the gem to the shop, right? And uh, the shop owner's like, all right, um, I'm going to check if this is a real dragon diamond because lots of people come with fake ones. And then he disappears into the back room and, you know, just never comes back. And you're like, what the fuck is this guy doing with my diamond? So, you know, naturally you go down in the sewers and you fight monsters and you corner this guy who's trying to run away with your diamond. Um, and, you know, you beat the shit out of the monster he summons and then corner him and threaten him. And Ramus is like, <laughs> and this is one of my favorite dialogue moments of the game. He, he basically says the amount of, all right, you can keep the diamond, but it, like, I'll give you the diamond in return for your shop. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, anything, just don't hurt me. And he's like, aha, now that I own the shop, I, which I sold the diamond to, I also own the diamond, dickhead, and I own you. Um, and I don't know, I thought it was really funny um, at the time, him just being a complete scumbag to this other character. And the other two are fine with it, of course. You know, <laughs> yeah, the of fact course that they he's, are. Unfortunately, it's not a legally binding contract, so all that guy needs to go is go to the cops, and, you know, he'll go to jail <laughs> for attempted murder, probably. But... <laughs> You know, they're essentially blackmailing him so they get rich. So, yeah. I mean, there's some there's some dubious ethics at work that no one really seems to comment on. Yeah, of course. I mean, this game doesn't take itself too seriously for the most part, and I kind of appreciate that. Uh, I, I'm much more happy with this whimsical adventure having a lot of, you know, wiggle room to what's going on in the world as opposed to it trying to... I, I mean, I guess uh, cater to every little detail, and it doesn't do that, and... 
you know, for the most part, it doesn't even do a good job of catering to the big details. But I did like this moment, and I did like a lot of the other moments where characters showed a lot of initiative, um, as opposed to just being dragged around by the main character for the entire game. Like, for the most part, um, and in the part of the game which the combat didn't, you know, kind of grate on me, I really liked that a lot of characters joined the party when it suited them, and then, you know, left and rejoined as it made sense to, rather than just you having this squad of five people that, you know, it doesn't even make any sense why you're together anymore. Like, when you finally form the full group, it makes sense that that happened, and up until that point, every character acts as they should, right? I, I will I will say the whole Ramus thing, it, it kind of... <laughs> I kind of thought it was funny because there's a moment earlier on where Luna tries to do the same thing. Yeah. And as the boat is leaving, he's like, Luna, jump on the ship. It's like incredibly melodramatic and like over the top. I'm like, oh my God. And she eventually jumps over the ship and they make it and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then when Ramus is Hammer like, sleeves, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave the party. And he's like, oh no, Ramus, don't go. We really want you to stay. Except he was <laughs> really useless instead of incredibly overpowered like Luna was. Yeah, not anywhere so, near the same sincerity to get him to stay in the party that there was for Luna. I mean, I kind of, I, like, that occurred to me too, but then I kind of <laughs> got over that because really, like, it's not like, Ra like Ramus is not going on his own adventure. He's still, you know, going out <laughs> from this boring town and, you know, making his way in the world, right? He's not like... I mean, it's not quite the same. It's not the it's same. Basically, it's basically the adventures of Hot Pie from Game of Thrones. <laughs> While Arya goes off and, you know, kills the Night King, Hot Pie works in, a, in, in, in an inn. That's the difference. Well, this, it's I different because say... uh, Ramus is looking to make it... You know, he's looking to make a fortune rather than, you know, working in some shitty shop, right? He's basically running a business. Uh, I think it's sure. a lot more, it's a lot better than Luna staying in the village and doing nothing, right? Sure. Good, good for Ramus. I'm very happy for him. Yeah. Um, should we move to some more big picture stuff? Yeah, sure. All right, let's let's move on. So basically, yeah, that's that's kind of the first bit of the game. And then you get to the second bit of the game, which is very... It kind of happens very quickly. You kind of get these vague rumblings of a group called, and I quote, the Vile Tribe. So, I mean, you know, good start, good name. You already know that, you know, they've got a good marketing team because they've called themselves the Vile Tribe. Very, very shortly before they kind of unveil themselves. And basically, you're in the throne room meeting... I want to say, like, the head of the Magic Academy or something. Yeah. The head of the... Yeah, the leader of the Mage Guild, right? Yeah. And you've done you've done a few jobs for, for the Mage's Guild and stuff, and this is the first time you're meeting her. And you get and see her, and she's like, these are traitors trying to kill people. Execute them immediately. Take them to the dungeons. And you're like, well, this is a little out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get thrown in the dungeon, and then the daughter of the person who you've met previously just unlocks the dungeon and lets you wander around with her and all the guards and everyone else is like, all right, I guess she's doing that now. Very strange. Oh, you also take a lady with a mask on her with you for no real reason that I can ascertain. She's not helping you in combat or anything. She's just kind of 
following you well, the characters feel bad for them right like um well, but, yeah so well, drop her off in a bedroom to go to sleep right? yeah yeah i mean i guess like at this point the main characters have this suspicion that something's funny is going on with the leader of the mages guild like some because it, it's this other character's um mother Mom, um and she's yeah. like yeah she's like this my mother would never act like this there must be something wrong we can't leave this other character in the dungeon under this you know uh you know, under my adult mother's care. So, you know, I, 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 do, I mean, I do agree. It's a bit funny, but n nothing that I would raise an eyebrow at, really. I raised an eyebrow. That was the extent of it. It wasn't. Anyway, they, they battle up through the tower and they get to the, the big room where they're making Luna sing a specific song of some kind. And then your antagonists for the game... Um, get revealed it's the vile tribe it's another body snatcher we've got another freelancer situation where these people are pretending to be people they're not mm. um and the vile tribe as it seems to be very little information on them apparently 500 years ago athena who is the goddess there are statues to her everywhere banished the vile tribe to the outlands which is like a desolate wasteland think you know, in the Lion King, how the good guy, how the pride has the beautiful oasis and everything, yeah. and lots of lots of you know mammals to kill who worship them as kings. And then you've got the dark side where it's all hyenas and there's nothing to eat and skulls everywhere. That's what the Outlands are. Yeah, like. I think yeah. that's a fair comparison. Yeah. It's not not a fun place to live. So the Vile Tribe committed an act of evil, an unspecified act of evil. We never know find out what it is. I don't think. And so Athena's like. For the past 500 years, that's right, 500 years, they've been banished. Not allowed back. 500 years punishment for unspecified act of evil. So not only is Athena punishing the people who did this act and the people who live with them, but she's also punishing their descendants for 500 years. So, I mean, right off the bat, you're like, that's pretty suspicious, that, that sort <laughs> of action. Yeah. I, I was like, what's, what's going on here? Anyway, so the Vile Tribe has come in and the reason they're doing it is unclear at this stage. They just want to make Luna sing, and that's that's all that we really know at this point, right? There's, I think, there's rumblings of the Magic Emperor, right? That it, it gets mentioned once. Yeah, or twice. if you talk to a lot of people, um, and we'll get into that later because there's a lot of like side dialogue in this game. But um, actually, let's go into it now quickly on a tangent, if you want. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Um, so in a lot of JRPGs or in a lot of games in general, um, games will have like a little bit of side world building by having you you know able to go and inspect objects and talk to a character um, and usually it'll just be something like you know you walk into a town and you talk to a guy and he says something short to you like to uh, to your party as a whole it's like hmm I wonder what's on the wind today or something boring like that um, and that's all they have to say right um, in this game, they actually went to a lot of effort in adding extra dialogue to the game. Like, every single character has, like, you know, two to three whole conversations. And, uh, you know, some of them are, like, little short tidbits as well. But they generally have more meatier things to say in this game. And, like, their dialogue updates constantly every single time um the story progresses like every oh, single npc i didn't even know that did you not know that every single no. npc in the entire world 
gets new dialogue anytime the story progresses anywhere like at all and they get mm. like two to three extra bits of dialogue as well like not just like a throwaway line like it's crazy impressive how much little bits of dialogue there are in this game you know um i actually spent a lot of time um traveling around and talking to people because like there's a lot of stuff that people have to say you know about kind of the world building and you know just stuff that's happening and commenting on your adventures in general um and kind of even more something that i really liked more than that is that usually in this games when you talk to these characters they only talk to the main character or to the player um whereas here they usually specifically have conversations with other members in your party like back and forths and i thought that that was really good in that it helped that give a lot of your characters in your party more characterization um, because something that I find a lot of these games kind of lack is that like extra little oomph to flesh out some of the like the characters in your party because there is so much dialogue here um, and so much of it is directed not at you but different members of your party and like they'll talk to one party member which will then spark off a whole conversation between two of your party. I, there's a lot right um, like there's a lot if you want to go looking for it they did a they did a, a lot of effort to kind of flesh out the NPCs in this game, and I'm honestly really shocked. Yeah, I am, I'm not as hard on it as you are. I think that most of the dialogue tends to be very uh, regional and, like you said, focused on the events you're doing. I wouldn't say the world building is as good in a game as, like, Archimedean Dynasty, which I yeah. felt really helped flesh out a unique world. At the end of the day, this is still a somewhat generic fantasy-esque world. That being said, I want to be fair with my criticism, and broadly speaking, I agree with you. Whenever I play these games, I always make a note of speaking to every single character. I I did I did speak to them a few times. Like there was there were a couple of world shattering events that happened that I did speak to. You know the random guards around the palace and everything, just because I assumed that'd be an update. But I didn't speak to them quite as much as you did. I spoke to them enough that I was enjoying speaking to every single character in the game. And I just consider it part of playing these games to get it fleshed out. So I agree that it's well done. And um, like you said, it's better done. I, I haven't seen it done better in any sort of like similar style game. It's certainly a lot better than something like Pokemon. I don't know. Like a couple of the times I teleported back to the first town. And like every single time I did that, all the dialogue was completely different. And they were talking about the current events. Um, I don't know if you went back and spoke to the main character's parents ever. Because I went back and they actually like... Uh, uh, revealed a lot of plot stuff that wasn't mandatory i was quite surprised that um no i, I hated my parents had more important things to do save the world <laughs> yeah. didn't have time to nip back to see mum and dad ah that's why you don't like happy things <laughs> <laughs> what what did they say a lot of this game centers around the main character and his love interest, Luna, which, you know, suspiciously early on, you like, you notice that they live together when they're, like, 14 in the in his, Alex's parents' house, and they kind of, like, go into that and explain how she got there and, like, what happened when, you know, and how they grew up and all that kind of stuff. Like, they basically gave a lot of the backstory for the main two characters that, you know, um, was weirdly lacking um, otherwise, I found. Yeah, no, um, yeah, and so it's broadly speaking well done i agree with you this is one of the few areas where i think they've done a good story there's definitely an attention to detail here in this regard so returning back to the original plot point sorry <laughs> 
Yeah. So um, then uh, Galleon, who's you've met before, he's um, one of the chief people in the Mages Guild. He's the master of one of the people in your party who's a mage called Nash. He's like, you know, the Valtry serious business. Can you take me to the um, to the White Dragon and hopefully he can help guide us? So you take him to the White Dragon and turns out he was the evil guy all along and he reveals himself as the one who's planning to become the magical emperor. And he kidnaps Luna at that point. And that becomes the driving goal of Alex and your party as a whole. Alex must become the dragon master so he can confront Galleon and rescue Luna. Did you um did you talk to many people when you had Galleon on your party? Because he is an absolute dickhead to every NPC no, you talk no, to. No, I didn't. I, we'll get into it more later, but Galleon is one of the few characters I actually like. Although I still think he's problematic, but I'm I'm nowhere near as high on the characters as you are, James. So okay. I I wasn't as high on the character interactions. Well, it was really funny. Like uh, like you just talk to anybody, and he'd talk down on them like they were absolute scum. Like uh, when you first meet him, he doesn't really act like that at all. He just like acts like a powerful mage in the mages guild. And then when he's in your party, and you're going around, and because you have to go back to one of the earlier areas, and I kind of liked that you did that because he is like it shows off how powerful this character is you go through this forest that you adventured through at the beginning and he just destroys the entire screen with one spell every single time he annihilates everything like it really sets up how much stronger he is compared to the rest of the characters and you know when you talk to the people in the town and he's just talking about them like the peasant scum you know it kind of i, I kind of started seeing i was like okay this guy's evil now because i actually hadn't called it earlier because of the way the other characters were revealed to be evil with him in the room yeah i hadn't either that was, it was well done yeah i actually thought twist. it was like a double twist that i wasn't expecting i kind of liked that sorry guys yeah. who are listening to this you just got spoiled but <laughs> we yeah, warned you warning. yeah and yeah, that's that's where the story goes. Um, I, so so just broadly speaking, my main criticism of this whole thing is that I don't think the vile tribe were fleshed given enough, enough of an introduction. They weren't fleshed out enough, and they weren't kind of seeded into the world earlier to make yes. their to make their revelation more meaningful. They were like mentioned fifteen minutes before you meet them, so it just it just didn't feel. Yeah, I actually think this game feels like, in in terms of plot progression, I'm okay with the general structure. Um, like it's it's pretty bland overall when you like look at the window dressings or whatever. But in terms of like uh, just raw story beats, I'm okay with it. I just think that there are a couple of missing like story sections that need to be in the game for it to work. The first off is the one that you mentioned. Uh, fleshing out the villain tribe and kind of explaining their backstory and what's gone on, you know, over in their side of the world a bit more. They do take you there, but I don't think it's anywhere near as expansive as it needs to be to kind of carry their part of the plot. And the second part is kind of to do with Galleon and his motivations as a villain, which I, I think has a good direction, but I don't think nails what they're trying to go for right so yeah i've got both those things written down so can we just talk about the vile tribe a bit more first sure where do you want to go with them so the first thing i want to say is that althena as she is presented is a massive bitch 
I don't know about you, but 500 years? <laughs> 500 years. Okay, I can accept that there was a tribe that did something unspeakably evil. I'm happy to accept that. And I'm happy to accept that you banish that tribe and their children to a remote place for so 50 years. So just, just to clarify... Was it like a sentence of 500 years or is it like eternal banishment and it had well, just uh, happened Athena, to be 500 years? Uh, Athena only stopped being Athena 15 years ago. So sure. she was around 485 years ago. So she's been the, she's, she was a goddess that was like present on the, on the moon that entire time. Okay. So to me, it's 485 years and she's like, yeah, this is completely fine. This is completely justified. So, but no one, no one ever raises that. And in fact, it's highly problematic because the vile tribe towards the end of the game turns from, oh, you know, what happened to us was unjustified to, oh, we just need to beg Athena for forgiveness. And at this <laughs> point, I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Like you have a real potential seed for conflict between humans and the vile tribe right these people have a very legitimate reason to hate humans if Althena is deliberately keeping them away from grass for 500 years and instead of that conflict being realized oh no it turns out that Althena was completely justified in that horrific act this whole time so <laughs> i got really upset about that the way that this race of people was disregarded and treated like shit when we could have had a far more interesting conflict between two factions yeah i i generally agree i think um in order to sell the plot that they were going for they really needed to flesh out this second faction and i basically up until the point that we went into their you know their hometown or whatever um, I was okay with the whole setup because I figured that, you know, there would be, you know, it must have been a very evil act in order for that to happen. And they just never, I don't think they ever really expanded on it. They honestly. don't. Yeah, it, it just. It's, it's cowardice. Like, tell us they did something horrific and then and then it gets more interesting. The, the fact that they all go back on it and they're like, wow, maybe humans aren't too bad after all. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, look at what... Ah, it, it's unbelievable that this is what the game does. I was does. okay with that bit. Like, they, they, like, not all of them changed their mind, and only the ones that changed their mind about humans that were the ones that had their lives kind of saved or improved by the main cast. I'm okay with a couple of them being like, oh, you guys aren't so bad, but the whole of them, it, it makes no fucking sense. Yeah, so I, I really disliked the handling of the antagonist in this. There's the seed for a great conflict here, and it's just terribly mishandled. Um, did you have comments on Galleon? Because I certainly do. Yeah, um, I actually like Galleon's direction. Like, um, when it start, when he's revealed to be a villain, it's in this very over-the-top villainous Saturday morning cartoon way. Like, he seems like he's evil for the sake of being evil. And then later on in the story, they try to add a bit more depth to him and... Um, his motivations seem to be about him actually trying to do what's best for humanity in his own twisted view, which I was okay with. I'm much more on board with a villain like that than one that's just evil for the sake of it. And basically, Galeon's motivation um, kind of boils down to the fact that he thinks that humans 
So basically, you know, in the story, the goddess Althena was leading humanity towards a bright future. And in the story, it's said that um, basically Althena determined that her existence in the world was causing problems. Like it was giving rise to religion and people were worshipping her as an idol. And, you know, they weren't kind of moving forward on, on their own behalf. They were like uh, attached to her at the hip and they weren't progressing as a race. So she decided to give up her divinity and become a mortal among the rest of the humans by being reincarnated as a, a small child. And there's also this idea that she's living on in their hearts. You know, it's a very Holy Spirit sort of idea. Yeah, and I was I was really okay with that. I thought that was a cool idea. Um, and Galeon's, like, big driving force is that he thinks that that was the wrong decision and that humans need a higher being to kind of lead them towards a bright future and that what Athena thought was the solution isn't working out. The problem for me is that they never really show humans not working out because of this. Yeah. The society seems perfectly fine as far as I can tell throughout the game. They don't seem to need this guiding light. Like, if they gave clear examples in, like, some scenarios where obviously if there was a god... Um, like things would have worked out better. I would have bought Galeon's motivation a lot more than I do, you know, in the state that the game is. The, the real problem is that Galeon doesn't listen to his god. He's like, God, you need to be god in this way. And God's like, well, no, actually, I need to be god in this way. And he's like, God, no, you must be god. There's like <laughs> a little... The little contradiction there. If he if it's God, then what he's doing is correct. Now, you can disagree with people who interpret it in different ways. So what they could have done is they could have set up a far more complex conflict in regards to Dane. Like they could have made it that Dane corrupted Athena. Like that could have been a theme and that Galleon believed that Dane's human love, you know, corrupted. But instead in the cutscene, he's like I don't understand why she's doing this. It's like, motherfucker, just say <laughs> that you believe that he corrupted her with, you know, with lust or whatever it happens to be, debasing her divinity, whereas yeah. he needs her to remain. Whatever, there, there are ways that this could have been done that made sense. But as presented, it makes basically no sense. So his whole motivation as a villain is stupid. Actually, at a high level, I really like the direction. I think it has the potential to be a really cool story in terms of Galeon's motivations and, you know, um, this idea of needing the goddess. I think that could be really cool, but, like, ultimately, the hero needs to be more virtuous and he's just a young, stupid kid compared to this infinitely wise mage and there's no really other way for that to happen other than the mage to be intelligent but not wise you know i mean he can just have a different like i mean i know i've brought up thanos before but thanos is misguided because he believes that the only way to save the universe is his very specific plan of killing half the universe thus preserving its resources now if he'd thought for a moment he could be like why don't i just double the resources but he doesn't because he's on this misguided attempt but the problem is I don't think Galleon is simply misguided. I think that it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like, you can't really draw a line saying, wow, his actions make sense. And he does the whole evil laugh thing. <laughs> I don't know. Just, just get me out of here. These, these villains are so poorly done. Villains are interesting when they're just a little bit sympathetic. And you can... 
you can kind of understand where they're coming from. You can empathize and sympathize with what they're doing. I think the best villains aren't villains at all. But but if you're going to do a villain, you got to make him interesting and sympathizable, not just cackling maniacs. Well, I mean, I think you can make him... <sighs> I think you can make villains entertaining um, by being like charismatic or as opposed to having a good motivation and that alone if it's done well enough can carry a villain but Galeon definitely uh, doesn't do that um, he's just a, yeah he's just very very generic cackling villain um, so I too with you have some problems with a lot of the like the major story beats but in terms of, you know, um, like everything outside of the villain, I didn't really mind the progression too much. On these kind of hero's journey style stories, the main thing that they need to do, in my opinion, is take uh, the party characters into a whole different bunch of situations and have them, you know, react naturally and grow as people. Um, and I didn't really mind... But before we get into that, James... Sure. We need a music yes, break. Yes, we I do. Because we... <laughs> we're, yeah. we're chewing down time here. I'm not looking forward to the uh, editing tomorrow. Um, Patrick, it is your turn to select a track. So as I said earlier, I wasn't quite as high on the music as James was. I still thought it was very good. Um, my favorite piece is one called Mysterious Cave. Um, it starts off with some uh, snare drums, and then um, you know, you've got this deep bassy noise that sounds somewhat synthesized. And it sounds as though it's like some light uh, xylophone playing, although honestly, it's probably also synthesized as well. But it's got a very, um, you know, it's got a light feeling of adventure to it. It's not so generically cheerful as some of those town themes, which I hated, <laughs> but um, it does have that feeling of adventure to it. Uh, and with, with an element of danger, I want to say, and it, it's just an interesting piece. It's got a nice variety of synthesized uh, instruments and it's got a nice bit of variety throughout the track. So this here is Mysterious Cave. was mysterious cave and i also really liked that track that was probably my top three throughout the game with the third one being the battle theme that i uh i kind of soured on a bit near the end because i associated it with the repetitive battles but for the most of the game i didn't mind hearing it all the time because it's a really good piece of music 
so as we were about to loot on, um, we're going to start talking about, I guess, some of the character interactions and a bit more of, you know, the party traveling around the world. And it's funny because I haven't said much good about this game um, at all until now. I've agreed with Patrick that the combat's repetitive and that there are some major problems with the overall structure of the plot. But this um, is actually probably my favorite part of the game. Um, are the character interactions in the party. Like, when I play a JRPG, the number one important thing to me is that I like the characters that are in my party. They don't have to be super complex or deep or have crazy character arcs. They just have to be, you know, entertaining to be around for the entire length of the game. And I really found that for the entire length of the game, even though I was souring on the battles a lot, I still really liked, you know, going on this adventure with these dumb kids, having their dumb arguments constantly. Um, because, you know, they're just like a bunch of entertaining characters. They're not like super complex or anything, but I think um, the dialogue really kind of you know, oozes with charm throughout. They, they didn't take it too seriously, and there's a lot of really, really stupid and silly shit mixed in there, and I really found that quite engaging throughout the experience. And I uh, assume that Patrick fucking hated it. Correct. <laughs> I found it terrible. I, I think these characters are all incredibly one-note and simple. I found all the romance stuff incredibly unconvincing because they're all 15 and 16 years old. And if you've ever had to deal with young people and romances, they're fucking retarded. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense for us, me to take any of these romances even remotely seriously. And even if you did, they're 15 years old. The average relationship length is two weeks. I can't believe in true love based with 15-year-olds. It's just stupid. Um, but my main criticism is that I found these characters very one note. They all had one defining personality characteristic and they played it straight the entire way. I found a lot of the characters obnoxious and annoying. The way they speak to one another has no subtlety it to it so whatsoever. Funny. There, yeah, there was no subtlety whatsoever and I fucking loved it the entire time. It was great. Yeah, I think, basically, James, I think you've been watching far too much anime <laughs> because this sort of stuff is like it's insipid like it's stupid and dumb and i mean i understand that there are people who would enjoy this this part of the game is interesting because i hate this i think it's very it's very poorly written essentially but i accept that some people enjoy this insipid banter between idiots so it could very well be that this is the kind of thing that you enjoy in your stories insipid banter between children and if so this game is for you I, I i always kind of forgot that the characters were supposed to be that young to me i always felt they were like mid to late 20s the entire time based on the way they're acting like for example kyle is the leader of the bandits you know that's not something a 15 year old does and basically all the characters uh, act a lot older than they're said to be in the dialogue so i kind of just forgot that early on and just kind of went with it um i really liked the stupid dialogue when they translated this game into english um i've read online a lot that this translation is um you know of note for taking a lot of creative liberties quote unquote with the dialogue uh there's a lot of stuff that raises the eyebrows a lot of the time but i found that stuff to be really entertaining um like for example early on or like kind of like in the middle of the adventure you go to this town that's um it's a town that's made 
of wooden boards uh, across a river um, and it's like for some reason they've localized it to be full of like rednecks like people that are a very low status not very you know educated you're just cut idiots basically <laughs> and you get there and nash who's probably my favorite character in the game he's an absolute dickhead uh, who thinks he's better than everyone like he's he's the main villain's pupil and a lot of that guy's uh you know hubris has rubbed off on him and he's just an arrogant asshole for probably the first i don't know three quarters of the game before he goes on his own little arc um but you get to this town full of rednecks uh over this wooden boarded <laughs> river and the dialogue goes no the amazing part is not that they managed to you know build this town the amazing part is that these hicks managed to nail anything not related to them and like i burst out laughing at this point it was fucking hilarious it was like it was awful but i loved this shitty shitty dialogue that was all throughout the game yeah didn't you find it kind of i mean obviously i wasn't very immersed in this game but isn't that somewhat immersion breaking basically he's in a teen romance with another girl and he's blushing when she's saying anything even vaguely romantic and like doubling down on, I'll do anything to protect you. And then out of nowhere, there's this line about Hicks <laughs> nailing so their funny. relatives. It's very incongruous. And I agree with you, it's funny, but it also feels like a misstep. Like this game seems to be for children, right? And this is like... Yeah, so the way I kind of saw that um, was that he was kind of shy because he was talking directly to the person that was the object of his affection, rather not not so much the subject matter his, itself, um, and that's kind of how I worked it in my mind. I, okay. that, didn't, that thought didn't even occur to me, honestly. Um, there, yeah, there's all there's all sorts of like adult jokes all throughout this game, and like honestly, I found it way more entertaining than if this had been just like i don't know generic fantasy stuff um the characters say a lot of suspicious things all the fucking time and it's great um i, I found this game had so much charm in it um and i've like you know i i was looking online to see people's opinions of the dialogue and it seems to be you know a fairly even split between people who fucking hate this localization and people that fucking love it and think it's like the best thing ever um so it's definitely something that it's not going to be for everybody but for me um this really made the game for me and because like as i said before there's so much dialogue throughout the world and with all the characters like i was always traveling around the world to find out what everyone was saying because there was like a lot of hidden gems in there so not all of them stuck um there was a lot of weird brand references that i didn't quite like and i thought were a bit tasteless but you know for the most part i found the character interactions the banter and you know the the party dynamic to be so good that despite getting real bored of the gameplay later on i was still having a lot of fun playing the rest of the game i yeah i just i just can't agree i i mean i just didn't enjoy it at all like i said there's no subtlety to any of it <laughs> yeah. and all the characters just just sing their own tune the tomboyish girl who's um who's the priestess just gets mad and yells at everyone the obnoxious dickhead that is nash is just an obnoxious dickhead. Uh, the rogue-like character is just a lovable rogue womanizer, and that's the entire depth of these people's characters. I like my characters to have more more going on with them, you know, and not just saying the first thing that comes to mind that's kind of archetypical of their, 
you know, generic character. And that's and that's how all the dialogue They functions. did have somewhat of character. Like, I think everybody except the main character who is, like, in my opinion, the main character is the weakest character in the whole game by, like... The blank just a blank slate. slate he does even talk but i wish he was you know more of a character he just barely says anything of value you know um other than like other than to exclaim his anger with something or to to yell luna's name when he's trying to save her um you know everyone else has so much more personality than the main character and it really kind of shit me off um that they didn't put that effort on with him as well but other than that how, how did you how do you feel about the romance stuff i i liked it for the most part I, like honestly i find that in general a lot of these games don't have kind of pre preconceived romances like in this game you're basically have a cast of six characters all of who are three couples yeah three couples who are basically all in a relationship with each other to some degree um and i found that way more interesting than the usual like you know one of them you know uh being out of reach of the other one until the very end i don't know i kind of liked having a party with characters that you know had progressed somewhat um along this path uh i i i I know you probably hated it the most but i found jessica and kyle's interactions like so this couple right there their couple is kind of defined by the fact that they just constantly fight with each other i'm rolling my eyes right now and like every time they argue with each other it's like somehow even though they're fucking screaming at each other it's like they got closer as a result of being angry at each other and all the other characters kind of comment on that and you know it develops as the game goes on i found it really endearing for the most part i think that all of the characters are fucking endearing um but you know i can see people hating it yeah i think there's a kind of person who would enjoy this and it's people who like teen dramas like if you like the oc this is right up your alley or if you like james and you like anime this is probably right up the alley as well but the the romances i tend to like like one of my favorite authors is called guy cabriel k and um, he he writes a lot of romance into his fantasy. Fantastic author, by the way. And his his romances are beautiful. But I like my romances to be tragic and filled with something something deeper. And th- there's nothing really. I don't think there's much deep about this. You do have. See, this- I'm kind of like over that kind of style of romance where there's like something stupid getting in the way of the two characters, or like. I don't no, know, that, that's not what I mean. Or... No, no, no. I'm trying to say the th- the thing about adult relationships is that they're complicated. They're incredibly yeah. complicated. And I don't think there's anything complicated about these relationships. And I understand why they wouldn't be because they're teen fucking relationships, but that just doesn't appeal to me. If I'm going to re- read about romance, it better be fucking good. And that means I want to I want to feel something, James. I want... I want I can't cry but I want my heart to bleed on the inside <laughs> and there's nothing I, I don't feel anything for these characters and their love and it's either melodramatic and over the top and you know if love is the way you'll defeat this monster sort of crap or it's them yelling at one another it feels either too earnest or just them yelling at one another and it kind of wildly moves between the two it just doesn't appeal to me. But there's there's an audience for teen drama, so I mean But you like yelling at each other was like all almost like positive for the characters. It was really uh yeah, I don't know. Those the, that couple's relationship is a bit odd. It's not super complex and I think it's you know, overall probably a big flaw for the most part. But the char- like one of the one of the final scenes that I did really like 
um, was one of the villains kind of traps everybody mm-hmm. in this dream where they have to kind of like come to terms with their character development over and the course of the games. Yeah, and it's not yeah. like super in depth, but I did like it. It could have been better. It definitely could have been better, but it was something, and I really no, wish. That... I agree. That was that was good. I I credit where credit's due. That I enjoyed that scene a lot. Yeah. Um. I, I, I like Nash in particular goes from being this like complete dickhead, like Patrick level dickhead, <laughs> to being <laughs> to being you know like realizing that he's not you know that people have value past their status and their you know their raw magical talent people have value you know because you know they do uh i didn't say that very well but you know what i mean right um yes. he 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 grows as a person and a lot of the characters do grow a little bit as a person and i i did like that and i really really wish that that had happened to the main character too because he also gets trapped in the dream um and then like i kind of get what they were going for with alex like he's like a paragon of virtue from the get-go and like the, the story's kind of suggesting that you need somebody like that without flaws to become the you know the almighty dragon master or whatever but it, it doesn't work for me i want a flawed character moment in the story where galleon before he's revealed himself is talking to you about the um about what it is that the dragon master does i mean it's like one of the only moments where you get some definition and he says that the dragon master you know what happens when you have to choose between saving a loved one or saving the world and because he said that i was certain like 100 percent certain it's like at the end of the game, you're going to have to make a choice whether you save Luna or save the world. That's writing 101. It's just they never do anything with it, and everything everything just gets resolved. I alternated a lot between whether I hated the story or the game more, because I hated both, and I do hate both. But I think that in the end, I've just kind of... I need to accept that there are certain stories that just aren't for me. Like, this is just not my kind of story that i'm going to derive any enjoyment from because it's about about a bunch of dumb kids and there wasn't effort put into while there was effort put into some of the details of the world with the conversations there wasn't detail put into the um into how this society functions and how what the vile tribe is like and how the antagonists were unveiled but i'm i'm kind of okay with that like the story is not for me and that's okay in this story of the retrospectives podcast patrick has undergone character development and realized that not every story is for him but yeah tune in next time where he admits <laughs> that grinding is for some people that, that aren't is him as never well. <laughs> going to happen I, I i feel like i said i've come to a revelation about the nature of that and people who like jrpg combats are retarded and should be ashamed of themselves <laughs> but the story if you're if you're a dumb child like with Mega Man Battle Network 3 you may get some enjoyment out of this if you like teen dramas there's something here for you that's all I'm saying yeah if you're an edgy teenager who needs your story to be super dark and like brooding then this is not for you guys <laughs> <laughs> nice uh. Oh, we need to talk about the voice acting because it fucking sucks. It's so bad. <laughs> you don't when, like Niles' voice acting? Oh my god! When the, the this, <laughs> I've completely forgot to mention this. There's some limited voice acting, and when the flying cat 
speaking cat comes up to you i was like what the hell it sounds like someone's putting on a baby voice it sounds like, like someone's what? taken like someone's breathed in helium and then like, started talking why why has james made me play this game and the the, vo- the voice acting wasn't universally terrible like i said i think galleon did an okay job but most of the voice actors is so bad uh there's a character called mia and she just speaks in the most deadpan, uninteresting tone of voice that you can possibly imagine. Like, some of the voice actors are bad, but at least some of them put effort into it. Oh, so bad. Um, I don't remember Mia's voice acting being that bad. Um, it's just I do think that deadpan. some of it's pretty some of it's pretty questionable for sure. Um Null, like you said in particular, is very quick, but he doesn't talk that much, thankfully. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. Um, you know, thank Athena, but... am I right? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there isn't that much voice acting, though, to be honest, right? No, it's very limited. It's just it's very really limited. Stiff. It's mostly it's, during the cutscenes. It's yeah. funny. This era of voice acting is notoriously bad. We had a similar thing with Castlevania Symphony of the Night. So, um, yeah, it's it's quite bad. Yeah, it's it's not great. Um, thankfully, there's not too much of it, and some of it's okay. I liked, honestly, I thought Galeon did a, a good job at portraying this, like, stupidly comically evil character. Yeah. It was fine. Um, nothing to write home about. Was there anything else? Uh, there, was, there was one little thing that I did like about the game that I want to bring up that I thought was hilarious. Uh, yeah. Really, really early on in the game, you're going through the woods, and um, you get surrounded by like three forces, so like 12 monsters, and you've only really fought four or five at a time, and a character comes to your rescue, and the character goes, do you need help or will you be all right? And I thought I'd be funny, and I said, nah, I'll be all right. And then the fight happens, and there's 12 monsters attacking you. <laughs> and you just lose. And he just yeah. stands there and lets them kill you. And then... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You have to reload your save. I was like, "What the hell came? <laughs> so I, I thought that was, and I tested a lot of the other dialogue options, and most of the dialogue options are fake. Like it won't let yeah. you do the negative one. But that was a really funny instance of it. Just it saying, was really good. Yeah, oh, you don't need help. Well. All right. <laughs> Yeah, because this is a pretty common thing in these kind of linear RPGs is that they give you these fake choices and when you yeah. choose the bad one, you just get like an extra bit of dialogue. So I did try all of them and that one was really funny. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of glad I made a save a bit before. Um, but yeah, it was really funny. I generally really, really liked how a lot of the combat kind of meshed with the story, as I said, with the Ramus bit before. Um, and like a lot of the characters, like Nash, for example, is my favorite character. Um, and he's a powerful mage who at the start of the game is utterly overpowered. And when he's in your party, just you just plow through enemies, right? And then when you get to his end of his character arc and he's humbled and realizes that he's not the greatest, he actually ends up being like the weakest member of your party at the end of the game. So, mm. um, you know, I, I kind of I really, really liked how the characters were reflected in the combat, even if the actual like encounters themselves weren't that great. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I didn't notice that, but I think you make a good point with those two characters. I don't even know if that was intentional um, with him, but it certainly works out. I don't really have much else to go into unless is there anything else you want to touch on before we move to final impressions? Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say. I think we've basically covered everything important. Did you want to have one final rant and give a, you know, make it perfectly clear what your opinion on this game is, Patrick? I would be delighted to, James. These are my final impressions. 
This is one of the worst games I've ever played in my life. I hated almost every moment I had to spend with this game, and I strongly advise you do not touch it with a 10-foot pole. As I said earlier, I alternated between hating the gameplay and story more, but in the end, the gameplay is the thing that makes this game a terrible, terrible pile of shit because you are forced to do the same action endlessly. And I mean endlessly. It's the same thing from the start to the finish of the game. And changing the color of the floors and the walls does not change that. The one thing I have to thank this game for is for, as I said earlier, revealing that I was right all along about the nature of JRPGs, that they truly are objectively the worst genre of video games, and that you should feel ashamed for defending this garbage. When it comes to the story, it's infantile, and insipid and basic and simple, but I admit that there may be an audience for this kind of trash. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you may get some value from the story. Um, macro story is okay, but does still have some significant problems. Overall, I hated playing this game. This game is worse than Crystalis. I never want to play a JRPG like this ever again, James. Please do not put me through this hell again. Let's never really? do you hated this more than Crystalis. I'm very surprised. It's worse than Crystalis. So yeah, I fuck? I loathe this game. A game that makes its primary idea grinding is never I'm never gonna like it. I'm uh, I'm so glad it's over and I'm so glad I have finally have this full on cathartic release of my opinion and I can share with the world how trash this is. Gaming journalists, you should be ashamed of yourselves as well for giving this anything more than a one out of ten. All right, James. Ran over. What what do you think of this game? So I really hope to God that one day we get a Patrick Arthur redemption arc where he goes from being this like um, one note villain to having some actual taste. But you know I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, overall, I think you can at least agree with this with me is that at the very basis, at the the core of this show, our question is: Has this game stood the test of time? Um, and you know, I think that this game has actually aged exceptionally well. Um, I think that graphically and musically, it's still like really, you know, really impressive to this day. I really enjoyed both the, you know, the way it looks, the way it sounds, its animations, everything I thought was just filled to the brim with a lot of charm. The combat is probably, you know, definitely the low point of the game. Um, I quite liked it for the first, probably half the game, like, I don't know, like 12 hours or so. And then once your characters kind of stop leaving and join the party, it does become a bit of a repetitive slog. And I did find myself reaching for that fast forward button a lot of the time. And despite that, I really liked my experience with Luna Silver Star Story Complete. Ultimately, the character dialogues, the level of detail in the world really won me over. Like, I really wanted the adventure to keep going when I got to the end, but, you know, with a lot less combat, to be honest. Um, I thought that the character interactions were super endearing. The uh, questionable at times localization was hilarious a lot of the time, um, even if it was a bit of outplace sometimes. It just, I love the party dynamic between the characters in this game, and, you know, because that's the most important thing for me when it comes for this style of game, I, you know, I had a lot of fun. Um, I think this game absolutely holds up to this day, um, but it's definitely, you know, as we can tell, not going to be for everybody. You, you know if this is the kind of game for you. So yeah, I think this game has, outside of its combat, mostly stood up. 
Um, if you, you know, if the if, if you kind of like, if you're the kind of person that likes grindy kind of gameplay, you're probably going to love this, honestly. Um, and if you don't like grindy repetitive gameplay, yeah, stay away from it. It's it's worth pointing out that we did Vagrant Story earlier in this show, like I think mm. episode 22 or something, and I was very critical of it. And now I'm looking at that game like a shining beacon of light. It's like Vagrant Story was a game I heavily criticized, but it was so interesting. Like it was, it was, it didn't have necessarily enormous depth, but it was complex. And that story was so much more sophisticated than the drivel in this game. So James, here's the deal. Don't give me anything less than Vagrant Story. That's all I ask. Don't make me sit through this, this kind of game again. If it's a JRPG like Vagrant Story, maybe I'll be okay. But this, this was, this was too painful. I well, to I mean, Luna has a sequel, no. so obviously, no. <laughs> no. obviously, Please. for my next game, we'll be playing. <laughs> Why don't we do the 1992 game? We'll just go back and do that one, right? They're the exact same game, and then, like, to be fair, like to give a proper recommendation uh, on which version of Lunar to play, we're gonna have to play all of them, right? Like, there's no please. other way. <laughs> please. Uh. Yeah. Um. I ba- basically, from what I've heard, the sequel uses its combat a bit better. So I'm actually, I won't subject Patrick to the sequel, but I will definitely be checking the sequel out because I, I really enjoyed my time with this first game. Um. Oh, actually, I've got a really funny story to tell you. Um. I was doing some research, Patrick, on mm. people's opinions of the story. Um, and I actually found a textbook on on story writing that used this game as a positive case study, uh, like like a physical handbook that you know case study of how to do a hero's journey justice. Let me, let me do this a bit louder. <sighs> I'm sighing right now. I'm sighing so deeply. Basically, when I was in high school, my teachers always told me. Um, to use books as references because the internet is wrong but books are always right and books say that Luna Silver Star story has a great story and Patrick's telling you on the internet that it's bad so really who are you going to trust? The Ghostbusters. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening to us today, particularly listening to me read. I went off the deep end a bit and didn't stop going but uh, unfortunately that's how i really think we are the retrospectives podcast each and every fortnight james and i play through a classic this fortnight it was luna silver star story you can find all of our content on our website rspodcast.net it's got all 38 of our episodes uh, at the time of this release and also a bunch of articles if you would like to support the show um two things you can do Tell your friend about the show. We'd love uh, for you to share the love around. And number two, please come and join our Discord server. There'll be a link to it in the show notes and on our website. Honestly, at the end of the day, the thing James and I love doing more than anything else is discussing and in particular arguing about video games. And we would love to argue with you too. So please drop by, tell me why I'm wrong, and I'll happily respond in kind. Is it, I don't know if this episode was uh, arguing more as a me sitting here twiddling my thumbs as you got this off your chest. Um, well, still, I hope uh, you were enlightened at the end of it, James. 
Yeah, enlightened. Uh, well, I mean, I already thought I knew the extent of your um, poor opinions, but now we've reached heights that, uh, you know, I didn't think were possible. So this congratulations. This game brought out the worst in me. What can I say? <laughs> so thank you so much. Uh, so next fortnight, finally, we get to do my game. I mean, I need something to get the bad taste of this game out of my mouth. So Luna there are two. a couple of games. <laughs> there are a couple of games that friends recommended to me that I was very interested in um i was tossing up between splinter cell the original and hitman the original both games with kind of stealth sort of aspects that i've dabbled casually in without being super big into either franchise so i did an impromptu poll on our discord server like i don't know 12 hours ago <laughs> i didn't give them much time to respond and uh, the overwhelming consensus was for Hitman. So we will be playing the original Hitman. I think it's called Hitman Codename 47 or Agent 47, the one that released in 2000. So um, I'm very interested to, to see because I highly doubt it has the dynamic options to assassinate baddies that the, uh, that the later game has. Yeah, I'm kind of interested too. Um, I basically don't have any experience with the series, but I'd actually always been interested in it because um, a friend of mine um, used to own a late, like I think it was Hitman Blood Money, and he spoke very highly of it as a, you know, when we were growing up. So I always wanted to dive into the series, but never really had that opportunity. So I'm looking forward to it. I probably won't like it as much as, uh, you know, the great game that Lunar was, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to anything that isn't a fucking JRPG, man. <laughs> oh, my God. But anyway, enough of that. The episode's done. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next fortnight. See you.